Uh, we do have uh, some cool things coming up. do want to encourage you to be at the men's conference. And I uh, want to encourage you to be back again on Sunday. You're here now. Might as well tell you about Sunday as we uh, look again at the Minor Prophets in a series called Return. Uh, the, the book of Nahum is where we'll be on Sunday. And it's a, it's a lot of the same thing, but it's never the same because the word's alive. And uh, we'll, we'll look there this uh, Sunday is God... Um, opposes those who oppose him and he takes care of his own and um man at the end of the day we just want to make sure we're on the right side of that amen uh as god is his his love is as sure as his justice so uh we'll look there on sunday we'll also take the lord's supper on sunday and uh we take that every other month and so we'll be taking the lord's supper on sunday as well and uh we're looking forward to next wednesday night next wednesday night is another move night here at lindsey lane and so uh, John Thaxon will be leading us in our uh, next missions night. So, um, as the church moves together, and we're uh, we're grateful for that. So, uh, let me just pray for us once again as as uh, we dive in. All right, Lord, we thank you for uh, tonight. We thank you for your word. Your word is enough for us to uh, leave the comforts of our home and to uh, to sit in front of teaching from your word. It really is truly that valuable. God, we thank you that you. Reveal yourself to us. Speak to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us into truth. And we're here, Lord, tonight because we need you. We need to hear from you. So speak to our hearts. Speak to our desires. Lord, would you just reveal to us where we're weak and, uh, Lord, make us strong. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would humble us and encourage us and whatever we need tonight, Lord. I pray your spirit would make it plain. And, uh, God, as we study your word, uh, that we would apply it to our life. Be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the goal of this message series called Wonderful Counseling, and the tagline is Biblical Answers for Everyday Questions. The, the goal of this message is to deal with issues that people deal with every day. And we have looked at anger and fear. We've looked at discerning God's will. These are topics that we've discussed so far. But, but even those may not be as daily considered as the topic for tonight. And the topic for tonight that everyone loves is money. Uh, everybody loves to listen to, to money messages, right? But you think about it, how often we deal with money. Uh, go back through your day-to-day -day and consider uh, how much you've interacted with your own bank account or the bank account of others or uh, however that looks for you. When you've spent money today, when you've thought about money today, when you've considered uh, how much you have, how much you need, how much you want, uh, all those things, I would wager, and there's another money word, I would wager that uh, you've, you've probably given mine to money today and you probably think about it every day in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we mentioned briefly on Sunday that uh, money is amoral, meaning it's neither right nor wrong, uh, that it depends upon whose hands it's in. And uh, tonight is not so much about money in our hands as it is money on our minds. Because one of the most prevalent and enduring types of stress is financial stress, financial stress. And again, think about what, what our topic or what our, our series is on is wonderful counseling. It's biblical answers for everyday questions. And one of those questions we'll look at tonight is relevant to the stress in our life as we think about financial stress, we think about money. Sometimes the, the stress is from external sources. We have had a pandemic that nobody in here caused. It was just there. Uh, we have had inflation that we are enduring still, uh, supply chain issues. Uh, we had an, an appliance at our house go down. Uh, we waited for a part to come in for at least eight months, I think it was. 
so, I mean, that's, the supply chain has caused these things. Um, eggs, for goodness sakes. Eggs prices are up 70% compared to a year ago. If you've got eggs, you can make some real money right now. Uh, sometimes it's not external. Sometimes the stress rel relative to money is internal. When one ages out of the house and they have aged out of school, now they manage money for themselves. When one gets married, uh, they now manage money with someone else. And I know none of you, you know, married couples, have ever had stress when it comes to money in the marriage. Uh, when one has children, now they manage money not with someone else but for someone else. So, so all of these things add stress as it relates to that resource. Stressors, personal and stressors include insignificant savings or building savings, growing expenses, managing debt, planning for retirement, insurance costs. Some people are stressed out relative to money because they just get stressed out talking about it. Some of you are stressed out now listening to it, right? Uh, sometimes we avoid the thing that we need to hear most or deal with the most. One, of the, one credible study that I read showed that 77% of American respondents said that money is a significant source of stress. Now, that level of 77% is even higher when it gets to young adults or minorities. One stat I read said 58% of people feel that finances control their lives, with many of that percentage worrying about it every single day. So where does someone go when they can't stop thinking about money? Headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a, this is what I get for trying to tell jokes. Headquarters, get it? Quarters, headquarters. Yes. Just trying to lighten the mood, you guys, okay? Severe weather, we're talking about money, I'm just trying to lighten us up a little bit. Headquarters. All right. Categorically and generally speaking, Gen Z and millennials, and again, now Gen Z is 18 to 25. Millennials are those that are 26 to 43. Categorically speaking, and in general, those age groups are concerned with money as it relates to building their comfort level. That is, that is the, the, at the forefront of their mind when they consider money in the bank and money that they need in the bank. One thing to note about that is almost 50% of those in that age category Almost 50% of those who stress over money in that age category have some credit given to social media exposure that determines how they feel negatively about their situation. For example, I've, I've seen a, a few posts and just studying, I've seen a few posts of 12, 14, and 16-year-olds that have recently just bought their first house at 12, 14, and 16 years old. And the reason for that is either their parents have invested and given it to them at that time for them to manage themselves, or with their own social media account, they've made so much money through their social media platform that they bought a house at 12 to 16 years of age. Now imagine being 18 to 25, 26 to 43, scrolling through your phone a lot and seeing kids at 12 years old buy their first house when you can't get there yourself. You begin to compare yourself to those that you see on the screens and nobody puts that they're broke on social media. No, nobody goes on there talking about how little they have. They're, they're posting about what they've done. They, uh, I've seen one where a 
12-year-old, his, his money was controlled through his dad, but he was his dad. He bought a house, and, and then he talked about where it was built because it was return on investment, and he's 12. So that when you look at your life in comparison to all these things, you, you see big dreams that you want to accomplish because right now you're behind a 12-year-old. And that's how social media sometimes can be hurtful, can be damaging. Baby boomers and above, which is 58 to 76 and above, 58 to 76 and above, baby boomers are concerned about building the comfort level, not of their selves, but making sure that those that they love are taken care of. And so stress relative to that, and are they set up well enough, and have we done enough for them, and what more can we do? So all of us fit into those age categories, right? We realize that, that the stats out there does not mean that we in here don't deal with those things. If the stats ring true, as well as those things internal and external that we've looked at, no one here is exempt from the concern of provision. No one here is exempt from the need of resources. No one here is, is exempt from the temptation to become reliant upon money, to, to find our personal value in money, to treat money as an idol. So in keeping with our theme, we're going to ask one question tonight. We're actually going to continue this as a two-part message, but we're going to keep with our theme. Let's, let's ask an everyday question, just one question, and we will provide a biblical answer for that. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, the question we're just going to ask tonight is, how do I stress less over money? How do I stress less over money? And, and the, so, the sole answer that we'll give tonight based on the scripture is, it's a matter of desire. How do you stress less about money or over money? And the answer you'll find in Scripture is that is a matter of desire. Now, based on the introduction as we make our way to 1 Timothy chapter 6, based on the stats that I've read, based on the opening line here, the, the stress that, it, that relates to money in our context, in our culture, for the most part, is often less about dignity and more about luxury. Think about that again. The stress that we often deal with in our context is less about dignity and more about luxury. Warren Wiersbe said this, we are so glutted with luxuries that we have forgotten how to enjoy our necessities. Now, that'll preach. 1 Timothy chapter 6 mentions the teachings of Jesus are wholesome and they promote a godly lifestyle. Look there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Bible says there in verse 3, and sorry, verse 2. And the B part, the latter half of that, teach these things. And above that is slaves showing full respect for their masters. They will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. If the masters are believers, there's no excuse for being disrespectful. The slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helpful, are helping other believers who are well loved. Now there again is a sermon in itself. Many of these slaves and servants were, were bond servants, not the slave as we know it in the American context. But again, slavery is, is not an uh, ideal form or not an ideal institution. It is if the master's perfect. Outside of that, we're for freedom, amen, or slaves of God. Now, it goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 2, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Verse three, some people may contradict our teaching, but, there are these, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly lifestyle. Godliness, would you think about that word for just a moment, what it means to you. Godliness, to be like God. To be like God, godliness is the goal of the Christian. Is it not? It is the goal of a follower of Jesus Christ to be like 
their heavenly Father, to be like their Savior and their Lord, who has lived, died, and raised for them. Godliness is our goal. Godliness is the need of every Christian. As we no longer belong to ourselves, we've been redeemed, we've been bought by the blood of Jesus for the debt of sin that we owe. Godliness is the goal. Godliness is the need of our life, not to be your best self and whatever culture determines your best self to be. I don't even know what that means but to be like God according to his will for your life is godliness and therefore it is the ideal goal. And our godliness, as it is in the context of 1 Timothy, is not for our glory, but it's for his. Now, that, that is something to consider there. Our godliness, it seems like we shouldn't even have to make that statement. I'll tell you why I do in the first place. Our godliness is not for our glory. It is not for us to be puffed up. It is not for us to have a platform and tell others about ourselves. Our godliness is for God. And this is a word against the backdrop of what he is preaching to in Scripture as there were those who were so prideful in their religion and in their morality that they would use that pride and that moral morality to the point of where they would welcome selfish gain or use that pride and use that morality to the point of gaining more wealth for themselves. And to them, verse 5 says, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. It's not real. It's disingenuous. They use it for their advantage. It's, godliness is not a tool to become wealthy. Godliness is an attitude to become holy. So verse 6, the Bible says, we finally made it to the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now again, I, I, if I'm repetitive, it's because it's important. Verse 6, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we, bought no, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Uh, we went to Alaska. I've said this, and again, when you go on a trip like that, you have many illustrations that come with it. Life experiences provide illustrations. We have made our way to Alaska. We sat on a plane in Dallas for six hours. Thank you for praying us through that. Uh, as we made our way from Dallas to Seattle, Seattle to Alaska, we get there, our luggage is not there, right? Lord, help us. As we are in Alaska, and we all, living in Alabama, have bought all kinds of stuff like we've never been anywhere cold in our life. So you can imagine what we would have looked like, but it was almost just a lesson on, God is like, I'll take care of it. So we get there, and our first stop is Walmart, as they have a Walmart in Alaska as well. For those of you who don't know that, I don't know if I knew it or not. The only difference is outside of our Walmart is, is just, you know, a few trees outside of their Walmart is some mountains that are majestic. You take a picture of it and it's like a shopping cart that you have to crop out because it's that cool. So, so we go in and, and thinking about God providing for our need, we uh, have, have looked around in uh, this Alaskan Walmart for all this stuff that we've already bought. All these things that we already have, have spent money on that we have no need for, we are there, again, without luggage. And, and at this point, it's, it's not about the desire to have more. It's about the desire to have what we need. Those, those uh, instances really place you in a, in a specific illustration itself. Because we're not thinking about the name on the tag. We're not thinking about where we bought it from. We're not thinking about really the cost and things like this. We are thinking about what we need at that point. 
Now, did I buy toboggan with ear flaps on it? Of course I did. It was on sale for $3. We're in Alaska. Everybody needs a souvenir. But we're thinking about the needs that we have. And again, God is telling us here by his common grace, God provides through his creation for what we need. We did not enter the world with anything. We will not leave with anything to our name. We will leave it for others, in fact. And then again in verse eight, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Again, back to verse six, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now, let me make a point for all of us on the front of this interpretation. One of the reasons we are stressed about money is because our desires are deceived or displaced. One of the reasons that we are stressed about money is because our desires are not godly or appropriate according to God as they have been deceived or displaced, either deceived and through spiritual warfare or deceived by the world or displaced by things that we have expectations for that we've learned from others. But here's what happens in our culture as we really relate stress to money. We are not about basic, we want bougie. Somebody interpret bougie for your neighbor, right? We, we, we don't want basic, we want bougie, right? This is not the war within us. The war between enough and more. The war between contentment and excess. I know it is with me. I know it is with, with my friends and family. This is something that we all deal with. We, we want more than the structure. We want the furnishings. Now hold on to that idea. We want more than the structure. We want the furnishings. Great wealth, as defined by God, here in verse 6, is contentment, but that's paired with godliness. Godliness with contentment. To be like God and to be good with it. In fact, according to verse 6, wealth in God's eyes has nothing to do with money at all. Did you notice that? It's almost like the more we work through this passage, we'll talk less about money as we really just talk about our desires and if they are selfish or selfless or not. It has everything to do with our desires, meaning, listen to this, I think it'll be on the screen, the richest in the world in the eyes of God, the richest in the world in the eyes of God are those who with the heart desire, because it says true godliness, those with the heart desire to be like God and all of their ambitions and are who are content in all of his provisions. The wealthiest in all the world with the heart desire to be like God, all of their ambitions, content in all of his provisions. The word wealth in verse six is interesting because that word means furnishings. Our home is just like yours. We don't sit on the floor and look at the wall in our home. We don't. Uh, we, we have a table. We have a couch. We have chairs. We, we have a TV that's, that's on our wall. We, we watch it. We have entertainment in our home. It's, it, we have a refrigerator, right? I mean, those things are in our house. But furnishings are what come with the structure. We have shelter overhead. We could sleep on the floor. We could look at the wall. The furnishings are the things, listen to this, that make it comfortable, that make it livable, that make it even lavish. It's not the structure, it's the furnishings. Furnishings, as it relates to the passage in verse six, true godliness with contentment is great wealth. The structure is godliness Contentment is the furnishings according to God when you are like God and you're good with it and the eyes of God, you're a deep pocket follower of Jesus Christ. Now, can one be godly and be discontent? Think about that. Can one be godly and be discontent? I think they can. You can live right. You can love others. You can uphold the truth. 
and still want more materially and still want more positionally. This is why the Bible says true godliness with contentment is great wealth. Again, the furnishing of contentment that comes with true godliness makes godliness, don't miss this part, it makes godliness comfortable. True godliness with contentment makes godliness livable. True godliness with contentment makes, makes contentment, makes life lavish even, wealthy before God. So what is it that God wants us to know that maybe we don't know? Why would he tell us in the world, in the culture that we live in, why does the scripture preach to us that, that God desires for us to know that to be content paired with godliness is the greatest wealth in his eyes, according to his word? There's no need to use godliness for gain because godliness and contentment are gain enough. How? How is that? Because true godliness with contentment means peace. That's what God wants us to know when it comes to money. It is that, that if our goal is to be like God and that is paired with with I'm good with it because it's what God would have us to do. There is peace in that. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have a ton of stuff yet still desire a ton more, which would lead to more to stress over or have enough and not desire anything else past that? Which one of those is worth more? The latter is great gain because it's satisfaction. And one Theologian says that inner peace in spite of outward circumstances is satisfaction. That's what God gives when we are like him and we are good with it. The world sees power, influence, and worth in money. God sees peace, influence, and wealth in contentment. Again, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. What God is telling you is that the one who has little but is most content is is at the top of his list in the upside-down kingdom of God. After all, you arrive with nothing and you've been taken care of and nothing we've gained materially while we're here will be ours when we leave. Now, look at verses 9 and 10 as we continue in 1 Timothy, verse 9 and 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Man, there's some distinctions to be made here as we look at the scripture. Uh, One of those that I've not noticed and want to include is when the Bible says in verse 10, and some people craving money, not getting it, but craving it. You understand the desire there? Have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Six through eight describes the power of enough, the power of contentment. And that power of enough can can go with money, it can go with food, it can go with friends, it can go with likes and followers, the power of enough. There is power and contentment in Scripture. And then verses 9 and 10, 9 and 10 describe the threat of desire. Verse 9 does not say people who are rich. Verse 9 says people who long to be rich. Did you notice that? It's not a sin to be rich, not a sin to have things, not a, a sin to have resources at your disposal. It's all about what you do with it. I, now I know some that would say that if you drive a certain type of car, then, then you probably would be outside the will of God. Not if you pick people up and take them to church or not. That's the way I look at it. What are you doing with the resources that you have? 
And, and, and how are you a steward of those resources? This is, but this is where we have to be honest because when the Bible says people who long to be rich, that means there are people who long to be rich. We, we cannot enter the church house and hear the word of God and think to ourselves that when the scripture is read about people who long to be rich, well, none of us fit into that category. The reason it's here for us to read and teach tonight is because some of us do. We're at least tempted to, to fall in love with money. We're at least tempted to, to want to be rich for ourselves, for our glory, or maybe it's just because we think when we reach a certain level of comfort, then we'll be okay, and then we'll be able to provide for those that follow us, and they'll be okay, and that's, that's more so how we are tempted to love money, because we're going to work for money up until that point, and once we reach that point, we won't love it anymore. Verse 9 again says people who are, it does not say people who are rich, it says people who long to be rich. And so I would encourage us all in here tonight to be honest about what's on your heart. Is it a desire of our heart to dedicate our time, our energy, our efforts, our resources, and our mind, not to money, but this word, to more? Because the Bible says people who long to be rich, well, rich can, can attest to a lot of things, can connect with a lot of things. Really, it's just, is it a desire of yours with all of your life to have more? And maybe some of us will say, well, I'm going to have more than my mom and daddy did. We hear that a lot. I want those who are mine to have more for them than I had for me. Right? That is that word more. When God says there is power in the word contentment, power in the word enough, we have to be careful at least with the word more. We, we need to ask ourselves the question, is more a craving for our heart? is more a craving for our heart. This goes above a healthy and helpful desire to improve. And, and again, so these things kind of connect with this. Maybe we think to ourselves, well, is wanting more, is, is that a bad thing? It, is wanting to gain more knowledge, is wanting to gain more wisdom, to get stronger, to get healthier, uh, to be wiser, is, is, that a, is that a bad thing? Listen, the more that's spoken of here, the desire to be rich, is speaking more than a healthy, helpful desire to improve. This is speaking above the, the desire to develop or to progress. It is speaking to the unhealthy and evil, even destructive desire to improve your value by what you gain. That if I will gain more, then, then I will increase my significance. It will mean more to me. I'll mean more to other people as long as I have more. It'll mean more to my children if I have this amount of money in the bank. It'll mean more to the church if they see me in a certain way. It'll raise my status if I have more. I'll win the comparison game if I have more. This desire becomes destructive in that way. Our desire is directed when we are chasing riches, is directed not upward but inward. And instead of godliness that leads to contentment, we are pursuing selfish desires that ultimately lead to cravings which is unsatisfied desires according to God. And not to mention, the stress remains, right? The stress is still there. When you desire riches, even if you gain them because it's the craving for it, the stress remains because it's never enough, if that is your God. You know, a lot of the stress that, that we have relative to money is not toward our need, it's according to our want. We've made purchases not based on our need. We make purchases based on our want, and then we're stressed out trying to pay for them, right? We get stressed out not because God has not provided for our need, but we went past that a mile, and we want to get what we want. Now we're paying on it. Now we're stressed about it. 
It, at the very least, it just gives us an indication of, of what we desire above what is necessary. I, I've even, uh, there, there's a pastor that talks about, even in the church, even in the church where we talk about excellence, sometimes you need to give excellence to the way of good enough because excellence costs a whole lot more when good enough will be just fine. Now, that doesn't mean we compromise everything and make people sit in window seals. It just means we need to be considerate of those things when we spend people's money that they're giving to the kingdom of God in the church set. Amen. Amen, right? Now, notice verse 9. Verse 9 again. Verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation. They are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Do you see the downward spiral? It starts with the desire to be rich, then you fall into temptation, then you are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge you into ruin and destruction. It just keeps going on down the ladder. But it all started in one place. It all started with the desire for more. In the scripture, Samuel was a prophet of God. Samuel was a judge of Israel. As he grew older, he appointed his sons. You know, this again is why the word is alive. I know I've read that multiple times. But Samuel appointed his sons to be judges over Israel at the end of his term, at the end of his time to lead. But the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, that his sons were not like him. His sons were not like the father, for they were greedy with money, the Bible says. In fact, it's the people that came to Samuel and says, hey, man, just friend to friend here, your boys are not like you. We love you. We love to keep you love for you to continue to live here and lead us, but your boys are not like you. And if you are giving us your boys as our next judge, then go on and give us a king. Man, you see how, the, how that can lead to all kinds of things. God never meant for anybody to be the leader of his people but him. He never meant for a king to rule them. He's not meant for a pastor to rule his people and lord over his people. He is God. Jesus is Lord. And that's the perspective. But we see here where irresponsible leaders, irresponsible followers are those who have gone down the rung of the ladder by way of desire for more, for riches. Again, the Bible goes on to say they were greedy with money in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, notice this. Accepting bribes, which are dishonest persuasions to act in one's favor, and then perverting justice. Perverting justice is interfering with making wrongs right. There were things that needed to be made right. They stood in the way of that for personal gain. These were actions. These actions were rooted in what? The greed, the love of money, which led to accepting bribes and perverting justice. They desired resources to the point where it was determining their character. Now, let me say that one more time. They desired resources to the point where it compromised their character or began to determine their character. If rich or more is your God, if more is your idol, let this be a warning, more has no standard. More as an idol has no standard at all. There are no guidelines as to how to attain more because there's no satisfaction with that God. So the one who desires more will find themselves doing things that are compromising their character, below board even. Or if you have a desire for more, and even if you stay within the rules, you'll work yourself to death. You'll give your entire life up so that you achieve more, so that you gain more, even when what you had was enough. This makes me think of the steroid era in baseball. 
think with me on this for just a moment. Think about the steroid era in baseball. The best baseball players in the world. There's nobody better than they are. Some of these guys would have been in the Hall of Fame anyway. The best players in the world shot drugs into their system and broke the rules. Why? For more. But they had it. What they had was enough, right? Who would do this? We do it every day. We have the same desires that they have. Why would any of those guys give up what they had when all of us are looking at them like you're at the top level. There's nobody better than you. It's the desire that's in the heart and life of every person. It wars against us away from God. And that's exactly why they did. People do it every day. It plunged them downward as you see in the scripture. I believe the desire to be rich or the desire for more will manifest itself in our life by a track record of turnover or closets full of excess. Now, we're just meddling in all of us now, aren't we? I'm telling you, I have, to, <laughs> I have to preach to you guys what God's Spirit's convicting me of as well. Let me read this again. I believe the desire to be rich or the desire for more will manifest itself in our life by a track record of turnover, meaning we're constantly turning things over because what we have is never good enough or because we have closets full of excess, meaning there will be a history of inconsistency as it relates to the material means and the gaining of those means or we'll just have a present filled with a bunch of stuff laying around as a sign that you got what you wanted, but even when you got what you wanted, it really isn't what you desired. Man, it stings to even read that and go through it. This is all a matter of desire. It really is. It's all a matter of desire. The love of money causes us to distance ourselves from the truth. The Bible goes on to say the love of money, it leads us to, to distance ourselves from contentment. And the scripture says, and some have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. We'll close with this. Jesus warned against the sin of living for things of this life. The, that perspective, and think about the perspective, that perspective of living for the things of this life is actually, while it's the biggest thing on our dashboard, it's way too small. Because treasure in heaven is an eternal investment, not a temporary gain. That's in Matthew 19, or Matthew 6, 19 to 20. If you look at verse 24, Jesus also said that you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't have two masters. You cannot desire for more and desire God at the same time. Let me read you this because, man, it's so good. Matthew Henry describes the conflict in this way. While two masters go together, a servant may follow them both, but when they part, you will see to which he belongs. God would not have us stress about money because if you follow him, you'll always be provided for and you'll stay within his standards for resources. It's only when we follow money, when we have a desire for money more than even the master, with the desire for more, that we will be stressed out because when more is your God, you'll never have enough. So if we're counseling each other on the stress of money, the first step, and we'll talk about the next part of this, which gets more practical in not next week because next week is move night, but in the following week as we talk about the practical guidelines to help us with money, the first step is to identify our desire because it's likely we are not resource stressed about dignity or need. It's probably we are resource stressed about wants and furnishings. Amen and amen. All right, now let's just take it, digest it, and try to make adjustments, all right?
Amen. Let me pray for us, guys. I pray you all be safe tonight as you travel home. Take care of you and yours. We'll see you back here on Sunday. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I just want to thank you for your discipline. I want to thank you, Lord, for your conviction over our life. And Father, if we are in your will, Lord, if we are believers, then our desire should be godliness. And Lord, you challenged us tonight that the contentment goes with that and godliness leads to that. So may it be our desire to please you. May it be our desire to be like you. May it be our desire to love what you love, to be content with the provision that you give. Lord, teach us the balance in the scripture, Lord, what, what it says about what we have and what we need and when we buy things and how we save. Lord, teach us. I pray that this week we would leave here searching your word about something that either causes us stress or that we can resource and be a steward of for your glory. God, we thank you once again for Jesus. We thank you, O oh God, for teaching us, for setting the standard, and for being the sacrifice for our sins that we need. And Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for loving us. We pray towards Sunday and pray, God, that it would be a spirit-filled day, O oh God, and that you would minister to our hearts, Lord, as we minister to others when we leave. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight.